0: Jesus, I pray that you would draw us to you today. God help us to, to know you more. Draw us to the Father through the power of your word. God take all my uncleanness and make me clean. Take our bitterness and our hard feelings. And replace them with the power of your word. Speak to us through your word. Change our hearts through your spirit. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's remain standing for the reading of God's holy word. Today's text is from James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. And the word of the Lord says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of god therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls the word of the lord praise be to christ you all can be seated i want you all to understand that today is a day like a lot of days where i'm preaching to myself And you all uh, have the misfortune of having to listen to me preach to myself. Because today's topic, I think, was especially difficult uh, for me to write. It's uh, some commands that James gives that I don't always do a great job of living up to. So today, I think uh, I'm a voice and not an example. Uh, uh, So we'll look to the Word and pray that the Word... Would uh, would speak to all of us and would speak to me to change all of us and to change me. So we live today in a, in the midst of a time where we could literally drown ourselves in information if we wanted to. We have online access to any kind of information that we could possibly want right at our fingertips. Uh, uh, right before I wrote this sermon, I flipped over to social media and with the span of about three minutes, I saw that a Toyota had been stolen in Madison County. There were photos of Brittany's aunt and uncle at Disney. There was another photo of a good friend uh, in the hospital. There was somebody looking for a tractor mechanic in Elberton. There were highlights from two congressional hearings that were going on, multiple memes, and a recipe for perfect mashed potatoes. All within three minutes. Uh, I I read the other day that there are 19 billion text messages sent every day. Uh, I can tell you for a fact that Brittany ignores about 18 billion of those, uh, especially when they're for me. Uh, Over 33 billion emails are sent every single day. It's like a tidal wave of information that pummels us every moment of every day. So it's no wonder that we are easily distracted people. Our attention bounces from one post to another, from one 10 second reel to another, from one tweet or a snap or a text to another, all in a matter of seconds. The the technological advances our culture has made are astounding, Uh, just in one generation, and it's literally one generation, because I can tell you, I remember my mom telling us stories about moving into the house, the first house her family had that had electricity, when she was about nine years old, and they moved in, and the electricity in the house was one light bulb hanging in the center of the house, uh, their house had a dog trot in it, and some of you who, who are my age or older know what a dog trot is. It was a hallway that went all the way through each end of the house, and there was, a, there was a light bulb hanging in the middle of the dog trot, and that first day, my mom said her and her siblings turned that light bulb on and off a million times, and my grandfather wouldn't let them touch the light switch anymore because he was afraid the electric bill would be too high. So we've moved from that in one generation to today, where our lives literally revolve around electronics. Uh, in, In 1990, a pastor named Dr. Bob Morehouse wrote these words about how we've advanced as a society. He wrote, the paradox of our time in history is that we have taller buildings but shorter tempers. Wider freeways, but narrower viewpoints. We spend more, but have less. We buy more, but enjoy it less. We have bigger houses and smaller families. More conveniences, but less time. We have more degrees, but less sense. More knowledge, but less judgment. More experts, but more problems. More medicine, but less wellness. He wrote, We have multiplied our possessions, but reduced our values. We talk too much, love too seldom, and hate too often. We've learned how to make a living, but not a life. We've added years to life, not life to years. We've learned to rush, but not to wait. We have higher incomes and lower morals. We've been all the way to the moon and back, but have trouble crossing the street to meet a new neighbor. We've conquered outer space, but not inner space. We've done larger things, but not better things. Every word that Dr. Morehouse wrote in 1990 rings even more true today, I think. But in the context of today's scripture, I'm especially compelled by one sentence. We've conquered outer space, but not inner space. We are masters of our own destinies. If you work hard enough and invest wisely and save enough, you can literally buy a ticket to fly to outer space. Uh, If you're pretty enough or if you say outlandish enough things, you can gain a million followers on social media who hang on your every word and subscribe to see every photo of you, every five second video of you. You can overcome COVID and cancer with relative ease if the diseases are caught in time. Uh, Everything today is more convenient and faster than it was 50 years ago or even 10 years ago. 25 years ago or so, we were ordering things for Christmas by phone or even by mail from the wish book. Who remembers the wish book? Uh, Let's see a show of hands. I wanna see who remembers the wish book. Uh, Yeah, Jennifer Smith's line. Uh, She remembers the Sears wish book. And we would order something from the wish book, and it would take a month for it to get to your house, right? Sometimes longer. Today, we can order everything from socks to a new car, and you can have it on your doorstep literally within 24 hours. You can become a millionaire with a few clicks of a button and never have a single penny physically sit in your hand. We're continually conquering the problems of the world around us. But inner space, the problems inside of us, is another thing. The human heart is just as untamable and unruly as it ever was. In fact, I would say for me, my biggest problems in life aren't related to whether I can get what I want fast enough or whether I can make enough money or even whether there's a pandemic. My biggest problem is inside of me. It's inside of me. James wrote this letter 2,000 years ago to people who were defeated and oppressed and scattered and far from home. They were experiencing real trouble in life and they were barely hanging on to their faith. So what did James say to them to tell them how to respond to troubles in life? Uh, In in the outside world, in in the the temporary physical issues of life, what did he say to them uh, uh, about how to deal with the troubles they have on the inside, the eternal spiritual issues? So what we're going to do is unpack the text and see what James has to say today. We're going to start with verses 19 and 20. He wrote, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, Slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. There are three commands in these short passages. The first one is this, listen more. He said, let every person be quick to hear. James is talking about listening to the wisdom that we find in the hearing of God's word. Now, we have to remember, the early Christians in James' time couldn't go online and order a Bible. Uh, There were no Bible apps for phones. In fact, though it's difficult to know the exact dates, it's pretty universally agreed upon amongst theologians that James was the first book of the New Testament that was written. There, There was no package deal at this point with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It was James' letter. That was it that he was writing to these Jews. He wrote it around 50 A.D., within 15 to 20 years of Christ dying on the cross and resurrecting from the dead. So most of the knowledge of Christ in James' time was gained through hearing. It was gained through listening to preaching and teaching about Jesus. Um, We don't go to a lot of concerts or shows, but a few weeks ago, Brittany and I went with some friends to see Chris Stapleton. Is one of my favorite artists. Uh, we went to Atlanta to see him. And this was by far the biggest crowd I've ever seen at a concert. And, and for me, since we don't do this kind of thing often, it was a really big deal. Uh, uh, what was amazing to me, though, was watching people at this concert and seeing people in the middle of this great show with their faces glued to their phones completely distracted by this modern technology that makes life better, right? Uh, when there was something amazing happening right in front of them. And in the same way, we can become, become so easily distracted by the temporary pleasures and the temporary pains of life that we miss out on the wisdom God has made available to us through the reading and the hearing of his Word. There's a lot of little distractions around us on the outside that keep us from being quick to hear the big things that God can do in us if we will slow down and listen. Proverbs 8, 17 says, if you seek the wisdom of God that he's made available to you, you will find it. But there's action required in that. Nobody grows in their relationship with God by accident. Nobody strengthens their faith by chance or by dumb luck. You have to be intentional and lay the distractions aside and seek after God with a longing heart. I I love that James uses this phrase, be quick to hear. The Greek word for quick that James uses here is takkis. It's the same root word that we use today to describe a heart condition, tachycardia, uh, a a rapid heartbeat. Uh, John actually used the same root word in John chapter 20, verse Uh, 4. When they had heard, John and Peter had heard that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And the text says both of them were running together. And the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Uh, John was so eager to get to Jesus, even though they started evenly, John outran Peter. So what James is basically saying here is we ought to be running laps around ourselves to hear what God has to say in the reading of his word and the preaching of his word. Hearing those things ought to be a top priority for us. We're quick to do a lot of things that frankly don't matter a lick In the context of eternity. We miss out on big things that God has to offer because of little distractions. But James is telling us to be intentional and eager to hear from the word of God. So the first command James gives us is listen more. And the second is talk less. He said, let every person be slow to speak. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verses 2 and 3 says, God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. Our God is a God who speaks. Hebrews 11.3 says that the universe was created by the word of God. And Hebrews 1.3 says that that same universe is held together by his power. Everything we see and everything we can't see is the result of a word spoken by God. That being said, the Bible, in comparison to other writings, is a relatively small book. It contains about 750,000 words. And to keep that in context, the writings of Shakespeare have about 960,000 words. Harry Potter has uh, over a million words in that book series. John Piper's collected books have over 3 million words in them. But Jesus was limited in his words. John 8.28 says that he only spoke the words the Father gave to him to speak. John 16:12 says he could have spoken more but he didn't. Ephesians 4:29 says he only spoke words that gave grace to his hearers. So Jesus' words were centered on God and God's people, building them up, correcting them, teaching them, leading them into relationship with God and each other. So there's a time to speak and there's a time to shut your mouth. There's a time to post a comment on social media and a time to turn it off and open your Bible instead. There are times when you say or do something wrong and you need to admit it and apologize. There are times when you need to keep your opinions to yourself. There are times, even when you're right, that you just need to keep quiet. If you're married, you know I'm telling the truth. Uh, uh, I have not been able to put this into practice. Uh, 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 But here's a good rule of thumb for all y'all to live by and for me to shoot for. Before you say something foolish to somebody else, even if you think you're right, just stop and say this to yourself. I am not as smart as I think I am. (laughs) If you talk too much, you are eventually going to say something foolish. Ecclesiastes 5.3 says a fool's voice has many words. James 3 says that the tongue is a restless evil and it's full of fire. Proverbs 10.19 says that too many words will inevitably result in sin. Uh, we as Christians are called to be little Christs, people who are growing into the image of Jesus So if Jesus only spoke what the Father gave him to speak, we have to learn to control our tongues. So James commands us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And his third command in this passage is this, calm down. Let every person be slow to anger. The Greek word for anger here is organ. And it means more than just getting angry the way you get angry when someone is in the express checkout at Walmart and they obviously have 400 items in their cart. Uh, it's more than just arguing about who's going to do this chore or that chore in the house. This, uh, this word means to teem or to swell, not a passing moment of anger, but a deep emotion like a volcano waiting to erupt, an anger that's burning inside of you. And you won't let go of it. And it grows and grows into hate. And eventually into action. The same word is used in Romans 2.5. To describe the wrath that God shows in his judgment towards sinners. It's a settled burning hostility. It's a type of wrath and anger. That was poured out and exploded onto Christ on the cross. As he endured the punishment. That you and I deserve for our sin. James is not telling us that we can never get angry. You are going to leave here and someone is going to sit too long at the red light in Comer. And you are going to blow the horn and get mad because they don't move. Or you're, you're going to go to the Mexican restaurant after church. And your kids are going to be acting like professional wrestlers. And you are going to snap at them. That is not the kind of anger that James is talking about. That anger comes and goes. But if you're still thinking about that guy at the red light two weeks from now, you got a problem. James is talking about that deep-seated anger that you won't let go of, those grudges that eat you up. And he's reminding us that anger is under our control. He says, be slow to anger. One of my worst qualities, and Brittany will back me up on this, is I blow up and then I blame my anger on something somebody else said or did. But James is explicitly preaching to me that I can control my anger. So thanks a lot, James. It's a lot more fulfilling to blame it on somebody else. And and please listen to this, because this is important, y'all. James finishes this portion of the text by saying, Let every person be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. There's a reason to keep your anger in check. This kind of ongoing anger will never produce a life that is pleasing to God. It will hinder your growth in your relationship with Christ. It never builds you up, and it never builds others up. It only tears people apart. Uh, Listen to this from Ephesians 4, and I think this is on the screen. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And I'm going to stop right there a minute. Uh, Paul is almost echoing what James wrote about not holding on to this teeming, boiling, inside kind of anger. Be angry, then move on. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Frederick Begner wrote it like this. He said, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to taste the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come. Uh, and I know some of y'all do this. Y'all ride, ride down the road in your car by yourself and you're thinking about an argument you're going to have with somebody or that you had yesterday with them and you're thinking about what you should have said or what you're going to say if it comes up again. We do that, don't we? To savor the last morsel of pain that you've been given and the pain you can give back. Beekner said, in many ways it's a feast for a king. He said, though, the chief problem is that what you're feasting on is your soul. The skeleton at the feast is you. Holding on to anger, bearing these kind of boiling, teeming grudges, is drinking poison to try to kill somebody else. Paul went on and wrote in Ephesians 4.27, Give no opportunity to the devil. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits for the occasion, that it may, may give grace to those who hear. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So we're called to be kind to one another because Christ has extended the ultimate in kindness to us in giving his life for sinners like you and sinners like me on the cross. We're commanded to be tender-hearted toward each other because Christ is compassionate and tender-hearted toward us and gives himself for us even when we don't deserve it. We're to forgive each other because Christ has forgiven us far worse than the wrongs that we've endured. We're to extend grace upon grace upon grace to each other because Christ has extended grace upon grace upon grace to us. We receive grace from God so that we can extend grace to others. Listen, I want you to understand this. I'm not telling you you need to try to be a nicer person. I want you to become a new person in Christ. This sermon is not about self-improvement or behavior modification. It's about being transformed, having that inner space inside of you changed through the power of the hearing and the reading of God's word. And James says in verse 21, "Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, I talk about this all the time. One of my rules for reading and understanding Scripture is to get context—to look before the Scripture you're looking at, and after the Scripture you're looking at. And Nick actually talked about it in Sunday school—to read slowly. Uh, if we look back at James 1.18, we hear him saying this. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. When James uses these words, he brought us forth, he's implying something like childbirth, being born again. This, the, the means by which God gives new life, the way we're born again, is by the word of truth. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. God saves sinners who hear and believe the word of truth. 1 Peter 2.23 and 25 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So when James says the word of truth or the implanted word, which is able to save souls, this good news, this living and abiding word that Peter preached, they're explicitly talking about the gospel. Sam Storms describes the gospel and how we receive it like this. He wrote... The good news, or the gospel, is the message of what God has done for sinners in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to secure the forgiveness of their sins and to reconcile them to God. In some mysterious way that we don't fully understand, the Holy Spirit uses the truth of the Word as the instrument by which He opens our eyes to see the beauty of Christ and the glory of God's grace. It is the instrument he uses to impart to us new spiritual taste buds so that we might enjoy the sweetness of who Jesus is and how he has made provision to deliver us from the judgment and wrath of God that we so richly deserved. The word of truth is the means by which the Spirit enables your soul to experience and enjoy the satisfaction that only God can provide. The word of truth is the gospel. Now, we tend to think of the gospel as something that we preach to all those lost sinners, and us saved folks don't need to hear it anymore. But Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. He said, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. Paul is saying, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. What he's saying is, okay, y'all have heard this sermon before, but you're about to hear it again, because you need to hear it again. He's preaching the gospel over and over to people who already believe, because they need to hear it over and over. We need to hear it over and over. Jared Wilson wrote a fantastic book called The Imperfect Disciple. And in it he wrote, The gospel is a family meal. It is meant to be enjoyed regularly and intentionally in the presence of others and for the benefit of others. So being born again isn't just a one-time event where you get your baptism certificate and your name on a church roll and then you've got it made. Paul is telling us to hold fast and to stand in the good news that saved you. To make the gospel the gravitational center of your life, the the sun that you orbit around. You never outgrow your need for the gospel. So if we look back at the text, it says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Uh, James is talking about a process here, this process of being born again. Uh, uh, first, we're born again by receiving the Word. We just read James one eighteen. Of His own will He brought us forth by the Word of truth. Uh, 1 Peter one twenty three. you You've been born again through the living and abiding Word of God. And then our way of thinking and acting and feeling about life and eternity changes. Uh, one twenty one. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word. Uh, James, uh, Romans 12, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't act like everybody else is acting. Don't think like everybody else is thinking. Don't feel like everybody else is thinking. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by this information from the gospel. And then finally, the sinful desires inside of us are displaced by the word of God. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Do you see this process working here? There's an implanted word like a seed And then you grow up in your salvation. The word implanted implies the word is like a seed that takes root and grows. It changes you from the inside out. Paul described it like this in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. He said, When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is. The word of God, which is at work in you believers. So the word in a believer does something inside of them. It's at work. It changes us. John wrote in 1 John 2:14, "I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one." The word in us convicts us of our sins and shows us the hope that we have in Jesus and gives us motivation to want to leave behind the desires we have in our flesh and the distractions of the word, world and obey God's word. Like 1 Peter 2 said, it's growing us up into salvation. I want to I read a short excerpt from a message by John Piper. He wrote, you never outgrow your need for the gospel. You never graduate to a course where the gospel should not be the center of the curriculum. There's no postgraduate uh, gospel school in the Christian life. The center of every own growing growth and knowledge has Christ, crucified, risen, and received by faith alone. He wrote So I think that what's implanted and rooted there, saving us, is the gospel. And we are to receive that every day. When you get up in the morning, you preach the gospel to yourself. You say, My sins are forgiven today. They're forgiven not because I'm somebody, but because Jesus was somebody. He died for me, He rose again, He reigns for me, He's interceding for me, He pleads His blood for me, He's sovereign over me, He sent the Spirit to me by faith alone. You preach the gospel to yourself every morning and receive it over and over again. We'll close with this. Thomas Bilney was an English reformer uh, born in 1495. He lived at the same time as Martin Luther, uh, but in England. He wrote that when he read 1 Timothy 1.15, it says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, that he felt wounded and almost desperate. But then he felt a marvelous comfort and quiet, and in his words he said his bruised bones leapt for joy. And he wrote, After this, the Scriptures began to be more pleasant to me than the honey or the honeycomb. So that's my prayer for us, that the Word of God with the gospel of Christ crucified and risen at its center, would be sweeter to you than honey and more valuable to you than gold and have the highest worldly standard and higher. My prayer is that you would have a love and affection for the Word of God and that your heart would be guided by it and that you would instinctively hate sin and have new priorities in life because of it that you would be changed by it into people filled with overflowing hope and love and grace and peace and joy. God saves us by faith, keeps us in faith, and strengthens us in faith through the power of his implanted word, renewing our minds, transforming our desires, and building us up as followers of Christ.